This morning, we're going to be talking about kingdom stewardship, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25 in a parable entitled the parable of the talents. Last week, we looked at the parable of the ten virgins, and Jesus is continuing to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. He is soon to be found hanging on a cross, soon departing this world through the resurrection and ascension, and he's leaving his followers with what the kingdom of God is like. And instead of giving us very technical teachings concerning what the kingdom of heaven is like and how we are to live in light of the kingdom of heaven, he gives us stories. These stories are known as parables. And here is another parable of the talents, the parable of the kingdom of heaven. And this is a lesson and an exhortation to the church of what it means to steward the kingdom of God. What is a steward? A steward is not an owner, but a steward instead has been entrusted with the owner's possessions entrusted to take care of them, to manage them, to invest them back into the master's owner's business. It is the steward's job to take that which belongs to the master and advance the master's purposes while he's gone. We read here Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. And he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered unto me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received one talent came forward. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the grass withers and the flower fades, but no, not the Lord of our Lord, the word of our Lord, it stands forever. 
Amen. If I was to tell you to take out a piece of paper and a pen and simply write down your life's purpose, what would it be? Your life's purpose in a nutshell. Businesses have purpose statements. Even churches have purpose statements. But how about your life? It is a tragic thing to see a life squandered with no purpose. Here in the parable of the talents, Jesus is helping his disciples answer the question, what is the ultimate purpose of life? What have I been called to do? What have I been called to do with everything that has been given to me by way of the master? An average American teenage male spends 676 hours a year playing video games. That's on average in one year. Most people in their 30s and 40s, they have the marriage, they have the kids, they have the job, they have the house, and then they enter into what's known as a midlife crisis because they say, I have everything I've always wanted, but what's my purpose? Fast forward into your 60s, 70s, and 80s, and you near the end of your life, and you enter into retirement, which, by the way, I still can't find in the Bible, and you enter into retirement, and you get to that place, and you go, what have I made of my life? What am I doing in this world? And with everything that's been given to me, Jesus here in the parable of the talents helps answer that question to the one who has been given much, much is required. You see, the master here is likened to God And God gives the first servant, the master gives the first servant a talent. A talent was a measure of wealth. It was equal to 20 years of labor, so it was a significant amount of wealth. And the first servant takes that wealth and invests it, not for his own purposes, but for the purposes of the master. And the master returns and says, well done, good and faithful servants. You took that which was entrusted to you And you've advanced it for my purposes, not your own. The second one, likewise, doubles, doubles the investment, doubles the talent for the master. And likewise, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the house with joy. But it is the third servant who takes it upon himself to take that which does not belong to him, but instead belongs to the master and decides I will keep it for myself out of fear for the master. And he squanders the opportunity to do something phenomenal for the master. And the master says those sobering words, you are cast out to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is here in the parable of the talents that we understand that if we belong to the king and we belong to the kingdom of God as his people, There is a very distinct purpose as the master has come down and entrusted all things to us. The question is, what will we do with it? We steward everything that belongs to the king as we await the king's return. What can we learn about stewardship in the kingdom of God from this parable this morning? Three things briefly. The first is this. The parable of the talents teaches us that we are owners of nothing. You will often hear me say here at Coral Ridge that we are owners of nothing but yet stewards of everything. 
If you want to understand the purpose of the people of the kingdom of God, you are owners of nothing but stewards of everything. You see, this takes us back to the story of creation. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were entrusted with everything, but they were never owners of anything. God is the owner. He is the creator. He is the king. And he brings us into this world and out of nothing gives us everything to have dominion and to subdue the earth on his behalf. Agents and representatives of the king to make his to make his reign and to make his name famous throughout all of the earth, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over it. From the very beginning of time, we have been created to be stewards, owners of nothing but stewards of everything. And here in the parable of the talents, we see that the master never transfers ownership, does he? He simply entrusts them to be in charge of what has been given to them, to, to, to see simply put in charge, to entrust them, to manage the affairs, to manage the wealth, to manage everything that ultimately belongs to the master, to entrust it to them, the stewards, on his behalf. Do you understand how life-changing this is? When you understand this principle, that your money that your kids, that your marriage, that your career, that your entire life does not belong to you, but it has simply been entrusted to you from the master who is the owner. Do you understand how freeing that is? But how paradigm shifting that is when we understand that we are owners of nothing in this life but stewards of everything, that nothing belongs to you, your money, your cars, your 401k, your children, your marriage, your career, your talent, your story, your very life and your existence on this earth does not belong to you. It's life-changing. See, if you've ever witnessed a two-year-old, a two-year-old is very good of claiming what belongs to them. Just give a two-year-old a toy and then try to take it away. What do they say? Mine. It's not theirs. It wasn't purchased for, by them. They did nothing to earn it. They did nothing to work for it. But they will be quick to declare that that toy is mine. Well, guess what? We are nothing more than sophisticated two-year-olds clinging on to everything that's been given to us with tight fist, our money, our time, our talent, our treasure, and we love to declare mine. Well, the parable of the talents reminds us that it's not yours, but it belongs to the master entrusted to you for his purpose and for his kingdom. Can I share with you a little secret? You want to make somebody mad? Like really mad? Tell them that they don't own anything. They will get really mad. Tell them that their career and their money their savings account, even their kids, everything, everything that they've worked for, they will get so mad when you tell them that they own nothing, but that God truly owns everything. It'll change your life when you realize what he's entrusted to you.
It changes everything. Owners of nothing. The second thing is this. We see a worthy purpose. The parable of the talents is to to show the people of God that you can have a purpose beyond what you see right in front of you. A worthy purpose. Why did the master entrust his wealth to the servants? To invest in their purpose, in their kingdom, in their needs? No. To invest and advance the master's purposes, the master's business, the master's cause. This is the reason why we exist. He entrusts everything to us, our wealth, our time, our talent, everything to not advance your kingdom, but to advance the kingdom of God. What a worthy purpose. Now think about it. Could you imagine you yourself, you take your wealth, you take that which belongs to you and you entrust it to a friend and you go away on a trip and you find out that your best friend took your, your wealth and your assets and your resources and blew it in Vegas. How would you feel? And this is what we do every day. We take that which is entrusted to us and we invest it in us. And I just want to say that is a joyless existence. To invest in the kingdom of you has no purpose, but to instead invest in the kingdom of God, that I will take everything that's been entrusted to me for a purpose beyond myself. I will take everything entrusted to me and invest it to advance the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven because what I've been given is not my own. I exist for the master's business. There will be nothing that gives you purpose like that. Now, some might say, in order to advance the kingdom of God, in order to be used, in order to live with a worthy purpose, then I need to sign up to be a missionary. Or maybe I need to go to seminary and be a pastor. That's one way in which you can live your life with a worthy cause, but you don't need to do that necessarily. You see, you can discover how would God use me exactly where he's placed me in the business world, in my neighborhood, maybe even in your home could be the greatest way that which you have been called with your gifts and your talent to advance the kingdom of God. Anybody who has been called to the kingdom, anybody who calls themselves a Christian is employed in the father's business. This is the calling of the people of God. Wherever God might take you, you are a missionary for the kingdom salt of the earth and light of the world. Emma Daniel Gray spent 24 years of her life cleaning the Oval Office. 24 years of her life, she would take a bus into Washington, D.C., and 24 years, six presidents, she would clean the Oval Office. And you know how Emma Daniel Gray ended every day? By putting her hands on the chair of the president and praying for him. That is a worthy purpose. That is using your gifts and your talent and your time for the glory and the advancement of the kingdom. Emma Daniel Gray, a cleaning lady? No. Emma Daniel Gray, a missionary to the Oval Office. That is what God is calling us to. 
If you are a child of God this morning, you get to work in the family business. Does anyone have it better than us? A worthy purpose, unlike anything or anyone in this world could ever offer. Lastly, what do we learn about kingdom stewardship? Being a steward for the king? We learn about the master's favor. Two servants got it. It says that they get to come into the house with joy. We're told that servant one and servant two was able to serve and steward the master's resources with a spirit of joy and gratitude. They got it because they understood the generosity of the master. They were able to serve the master, not out of fear and not out of guilt, but out of pure joy. But the third servant, we're told in verse 24, said, Master, I knew you were a hard man. He announces to the master that the reason I didn't steward that which was given to me was out of fear and out of retribution of what you would do because I thought you were a hard man. That is the example of a servant who didn't get it. He didn't get the generosity of the master. But you kind of can't blame him, can you? Because we read at the very end of this parable in verse 30 that he was cast out into utter darkness in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so there's a part of all of us that the reason we are so tight-fisted in life, the reason for some of us we refuse to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure is because we live a life of fear But the story of the gospel is this, and it is a story of the gospel alone that can free you and I from being stubborn, selfish, selfish, tight-fisted people and transform us into the most generous people of all. You see, the story of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ himself would become the suffering servant, we're told. And it is Jesus Christ himself that would eventually be cast out into utter darkness. And it is Jesus Christ himself that we would be go into the place of outer darkness, into the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth on our behalf. And that message of the gospel alone, that Jesus took our place, that turns us into servants that are able to operate with a spirit of joy, that I can give my life away, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, for thee, that I can give my life away as a steward of the kingdom of God, because I've been given everything I need in the person of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ alone that can deliver those words to you this morning, words that you long for. Well done, good and faithful servant. You see, every other religion and worldview says that you need to earn the favor of the master. It is Christianity alone that says the favor that you long for The affection of the master is not given to you on the basis of your work and on the basis of your righteousness, but the favor that you long for is given to you freely on the basis of Jesus' performance for you. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one thing you long for, you get in Christ, the master's favor. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have it? 
Do you know this one? You can search high and low in this world and in this life, and you will never find the favor you long for and the affection and the approval of the master apart from Jesus Christ. Would you run to him this morning? Not on the basis of your work or your righteousness, but on the basis of Jesus' work and righteousness for you. It is the only thing that will allow you to serve, give, and steward all that God has given to you with exceeding joy. In a few moments, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to give you the opportunity, for maybe for the very first time, to confess your need for Jesus and receive those words, good and faithful servant. David Ireland was an author, and he found out nine months before he passed that his wife was expecting. David Ireland was not only terminally ill, but he was disabled and confined to a wheelchair. And knowing that he would never get to meet his child, wrote a series of letters that they eventually turned into a book, Letters to an Unborn Child. This was David Ireland's way of, of speaking and communicating to the child he would never meet. And one of those letters was a letter of love and affection for the child's mother, David's wife. He wanted his child to know how much affection and love that he had for his wife, this child's mother. And this is what he wrote in this letter to his child, his unborn child. He said, your mother is so special Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for us. It means she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage and put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so I'm comfortable. Fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get into the car, drive it off to the restaurant. And then it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, sits me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedal out, closes and locks the car, wheels me into the restaurant, takes the pedal off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable sit down to dinner. She feeds me throughout the entire meal. When it's over, she pays the bill, pushes the wheelchair out to the car again, and reverses the same routine. And when it's over and finished and she tucks me into bed with warmth, she'll turn to me and say, honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. I never quite know how to answer. What would cause someone to sacrificially give their life away to serve someone with that capacity and love, with unspeakable joy? You could only do it if you knew the one you were serving loved you with that much love, favor, and affection. If you were in Jesus Christ this morning, that is how the Father sees you in Christ. And it is only through that beautiful message of the good news of what God has done for us in Christ that we could then respond and say, I give my life away to the king, to the master's service, 
to advance his kingdom, not mine, to advance his purposes, not mine. The only thing that would ever take selfish, tight-fisted people like us and make us the most generous community this world has ever seen is if we believe this message to be true. I see people every day wasting their life, squandering their life for things that don't matter. I see people with more wealth than you and I could ever imagine who invest everything back into themselves and they are some of the most miserable people I've ever met. You could go to the mall this afternoon and buy the entire mall and the kitchen sink and it would never take away that pain, never bring you the joy that you long for. You want to have purpose? You want your life to count? It only, only when you respond with exceedingly joy that I have been enlisted into the king's service. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. It is a terrible thing to squander and waste your life but instead to give away your money, your career, your time, and your energy to the kingdom and to do it with joy, the only way you could ever do something as crazy as that is if you knew you had the favor and the affection of your master. And in Jesus, you do.